Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, open it to Acts 21. Now not only is it Paul and James with this group that's just come in, many Gentiles bringing that offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem, but all the elders of the Jerusalem church, verse 18, were there. Some scholars believe as many as 70 elders were present because there were many thousands of believers in Israel. And remember that Paul has come for the feast of, remember, Pentecost. Millions of Jews would uh, converge on Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Many people are here. And after he greeted them, he began to relate, Paul's now relating one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. I want you to notice, notice the humility of Paul. He's, he's relating one by one what God had done. That's his humility. I planted, Apollos watered, but God, remember, brought the increase so that, that he that plants and he that waters is nothing but God. He gives the glory where the glory is due. It's so important we understand God doesn't need us. He uses us to spite us. There's a pastor who said he got a call and uh, he was told there was an elderly lady, unbeliever, on her deathbed. She lived in this little apartment and he was asked to go out and minister to her and she had just a couple of days to live. And so he was really uneasy driving in the car over there. He tells this story personally. And he said he didn't know what to say with her. He knew that she was not open or just seemed to be closed to the gospel. Lord, what should I say? What should I do? Help me, help me, help me. He came to the door, knocked on the door of the apartment. A woman answered the door. He went into the room where the lady was. And she said, before you say anything to me, pastor, I want you to know something. Yesterday, my sister led me to Jesus Christ. And the pastor was like, Praise the Lord. He said, I read some psalms to her, and I told her, you don't have to be afraid to die anymore. And she goes, I'm not afraid of death. And she began to minister to him. And he said, when he left, she ministered more to him than he did to her. It's amazing the hope that we can have in Christ because of the truth of the resurrection. And so Paul, one by one, I mean, how many stories did this guy have to share? We're in the Philippian jailer. Well, first of all, we're in the Philippian jail. But before that, this crazy servant girl who was demon-possessed, she became a Christian. And then Lydia became a Christian. And then we're in the jail. And we're singing hymns at midnight. And we're in jail. And the handcuffs came off. And the jailer was going to kill himself. We said, no, we're all here. And the jailer, he knelt down. He gave his life to Christ. And then at the end of the night, he's washing our wounds. And he gave us food. And one by one. How many stories, man? The only way you'll be able to tell stories is if you do something. Amen? You've got to step out of the boat at some point and say, Lord, I believe you can use me. And Paul, one by one, story after story. How did the mother church, uh, the Jewish church, receive this? Well, when they heard uh, the stories, they began glorifying God. They praised God. And they said to him, you see, brother, their family. How many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Now, many Jews have become Christians, but they still are zealous for Torah, and they have been told about you. 
that you are teaching 21 all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. People were believing the worst false rumors about Paul. Paul did not tell people not to circumcise their children. He was just trying to make sure that Gentiles were not forced to be circumcised, to be saved, and to keep a kosher diet. That's all he was saying. He would say to Jewish people, if you're a Jew and you want to circumcise your child on the eighth day, do it. He's in Jerusalem there to honor the feast of Pentecost. If he didn't care about the law anymore, he wouldn't be there anyway. And this is 30 years after he's become a Christian. In Acts 18, 18, he took the Nazarite Valley. He's been a Christian for years, but it was a special time of dedication to the Lord. Paul knows that the gospel is by grace, but he didn't stop being Jewish because of it. There's a gal, her name's Judy Reamer. She was uh, featured on the Focus on the Family broadcast, grew up in a Jewish home, married to a Jewish man, uh, all the family's Orthodox Jews, and she Uh, tried it in Judaism and she just couldn't find fulfillment and hope and she tried the cults and the occult seeking out all this stuff never felt like she could be good enough always felt empty she read a book by Pat Boone who was kind of the superstar at that time she said he was bigger than Elvis during one stretch and she was really a fan and he in the book and in an interview it told about his conversion to Christ or his faith in Christ and, and she was starting to have some epiphanies. Well, she had opened her life to Christ and she described a radical conversion and she said that um, she was going to go to Vegas and she said, not a good place to go right after you've decided to follow Christ. But Pat Boone happened to be playing in Las Vegas. And as she tells this story, she said, in all these years of him going there, he had never been there during that week except for this particular occasion. And the people who were with her were telling her to call Pat Boone. And she's like, I'm not going to call. You call him. And she said, it was just really strange. These people who are so quiet and reserved were telling me to call him. So I called him. And he returned my call. They ended up meeting and Pat Boone led this lady to Jesus Christ and baptized her. And she said she was married to this Jewish attorney. And God just buttoned his lip the whole time. And he said he was going to leave and go and gamble, but he couldn't leave. Pat Boone brought him in, sat him down on the chair. He was quiet the whole time. He said he didn't get saved on the spot. But four and a half years later, my Jewish husband became a believer. And she kept saying in the talk, how big is our God? She said, I have been uh, forsaken by my Jewish father. Uh, He no longer considers me his daughter, but I'm not going anywhere because Jesus Christ has never failed me. He's proven himself true over and over and over again. This is what God does. There's a story about a Muslim terrorist who came to the United States and um, he was involved in very shady stuff and he's driving his car down the road one day and he crashed his car and he ended up in a ditch and he said, Allah, Allah, why, why? 
I've come here to serve you. Why have you let this happen to me? And there, there was an ambulance that pulled up and a guy came out and he had this kind of strange smile on his face and he said to him, hey, it's going to be okay, buddy. You're, you're going to be okay. And he's like, what? Who are these people? And he went into the hospital and another guy came in and he said, you're going to be okay, buddy. And he had that weird smile. And then he said he heard the guys fighting over which one of them was going to take care of him and even invite them to their homes. And he was like, oh no, these men are fighting over me. They're not that kind of men, are they? Help me, Allah, help me. Anyways, it turned out that one of the guys had ministered to him and uh, he was crying out one day uh, from a home, Allah, why? Give me the answer. And a voice answered him and said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And revealed himself and it was Jesus Christ. And this man converted to Christianity he was a, coming here as a Muslim terrorist. And he's now a Christian. That's a real story. These are the things that God does in people's lives. He changes people's souls and destinies. It's amazing to see the change. Now, there's Paul, and he's being accused of all these different things. And so James has a suggestion. He says, what should we do? What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come, 23 Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow, probably the Nazarite vow, which was usually a 30-day vow. could be a little longer. Take them and purify yourself along with them. Pay their expenses, which would be quite costly, in order that they may shave their heads. One of the things in the Nazarite vow is you didn't cut your hair like Samson. You would avoid all grape products. You would avoid touching dead bodies, and you would not uh, uh, get a haircut. And so they would shave their heads at the end of the vow and make it part of the offering. And all will know, if you do this, if you join in and pay for them, all will know that there's nothing to the things which they have been told about you. But that you yourself walk orderly keeping the law. So Paul said, okay. It's not a salvation issue. The Nazarite vow was just to consecrate your more, yourself more deeply to God. I'll do it. And then they make a statement about the Gentiles. So Paul, 26, took the men... And the next day, 26, purifying himself along with them, he went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. So Paul is saying, okay, you know, 1 Corinthians 9 says, I'm free uh, from all men, but I've made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. Though my, I'm not under the law, I'm under the law of Christ, but look, I was willing not to die on that hill that I might win people. Uh, I, I might take obstacles away for people to believe. And so when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, they're from the area of Ephesus, we'll see in a second, upon seeing Paul in the temple began to stir up all the multitudes and laid hands on him. And they cried out, men of Israel, come to our aid or help us. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place, that is the temple. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now what's Paul doing? He's there, he's part of a Nazarite vow, he's in the temple, he's trying to do the right thing. And all of a sudden this group, these enemies from modern day Turkey, uh, ancient Asia Minor, see him and they make an accusation. And they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian, he was a Gentile from Ephesus, in the city with Paul. 
and they supposed or assumed NIV that Paul had brought him into the temple. That's where people get in trouble when they make assumptions, amen? They wanted to think the worst of Paul. These guys were on Paul's heels. They were there, obviously, for Pentecost, but they've accused him of something. Would Paul ever bring a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple? The answer is no. There was a court of the Gentiles on the outside, and in 1935, archaeologists dug up a placard from the time of the temple that said these words. No Gentile may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught so doing will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Close quote. We've got that. It was discovered in 1935. There was an outer court and there was a partition where Gentiles couldn't move into the inner courts and then to the sanctuary proper. And if you did, apparently the Romans let the Jews kill people for that. And so Paul never would have taken somebody loved inside of there. That, this was trumped up charges. And so here's what happens. All the city was aroused. All these thousands of people are there at the temple. The people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. And I think in picturesque language, yes, that was partly to wake you up as well. The doors being shut were kind of like this final rejection of the Jews rejecting the gospel. The temple doors shut, but I think Luke's kind of saying, and the doors shut. Now I believe that God, I know the Bible teaches this, he doesn't want anybody to perish, he's so patient with us, but at some point people just close the doors They reject over and over and over again. And the doors were shut. Now they're dragging Paul away. Can you imagine that? You've gone there to worship. But Paul knew it was coming. The Holy Spirit had been warning him. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And at once he took along some soldiers, 32, and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. If you ever look at a model of the temple back in the time of the Apostle Paul, on the the Temple Mount they had what was called the Fortress of Antonia. It was on the northwest corner, and they had a garrison of Roman soldiers, at least a thousand during the feast, looking down on the temple precincts. And what would happen is they'd be looking for trouble. And if any trouble happened, especially during the feast, the Romans would quickly defuse it. And so they saw what was going on. Word came up and the soldiers ran down and they stopped beating Paul, 32. But it appears that he got beat up for a while. He was probably bloodied, bruised up, probably scraped from being dragged out of the temple. This is what he used to do to other people. That's the irony. And now it's happened to him. This isn't the first time. But he's been beat up. The the guards now come in and the commander came up and took hold of him, 33, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. This is what the prophecies were saying, what happened to Paul. And he began asking him who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts on account of the uproar, he ordered him, that's Paul, to be brought into the barracks. And when he got to the stairs, it so happened that he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Apparently the mob was still trying to grab at him and kill him. So the Roman soldiers actually picked Paul up 
and started up the stairs toward the barracks in the fortress to protect Paul. And people were grabbing at him and still trying to take him out, even with all the presence of Roman soldiers. Now, can you imagine being Paul at this point? Man, Lord, these people are all trying to kill me. And so up he went the stairs. And I I think I'd be saying to the soldiers, get me into the barracks as quickly as you can. I need ice, band-aids. But that's not going to be Paul's heart at all. For the multitude of the people kept following behind, crying out, away with him, away with him. And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Paul knew Greek and Hebrew. Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness some years before this. And Josephus records this. He's a Jewish historian of the time. He says there was a man from Egypt who told thousands of men that they would come upon the uh, temple area. He would cause the walls of the temple to fall down and that they together would take the Romans down. Well, the walls didn't fall down and the Romans quickly quelled that. And, but he escaped. And I'm sure in the fortress of Antonia, they had Rome's top 10 most wanted. And on the list was this assassin because he had escaped and they were probably looking for him. So when this happened, I think they thought Paul maybe was this guy. And he said, are you the assassin who did all this stuff? And Paul said, no, I'm not an assassin. I'm a Christian. You ever thought in our culture, there's so many uh, accusations coming against Christians and what do we want to have happen in the world? We'd like babies not to be killed in their mother's wombs. We'd prefer that the Ten Commandments stay in courtrooms and schoolhouses because some of the commandments say things like don't murder anybody and don't steal and don't cheat on your wife and stuff like that. We think those are pretty good things, even though people are saying, oh, no, we can't show those things to school children. Oh, what will happen to them? They might have some morals then. And we prefer crosses be kept in cemeteries and even on federal land where military people have died because we believe that the cross is the symbol of hope that death is not the end, that people who have served valiantly deserve to be honored. Do you believe those things? And how are we labeled in the culture? Oh, wacky right-wing fundamentalist Christians always wanting to protect babies and keep crosses up and teach people morals. Their morals, like don't murder and don't steal. Wow. (laughs) Paul said, look, I'm a Jew, 39 of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. If you're the commander, what people? The people who are trying to kill you? Then we just had to carry you up the steps? Yeah, those people. You're nuts, dude. That's my interpretation. Okay. When he had given him permission, 40, Paul, standing on the stairs, steadied himself apparently motioned to the people with his hand. When there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect saying, now here's just a, a point of application. If we are going to reach the people of our culture, we've got to speak their language, guys. 
We talk about eschatology and thisology and thatology. And sometimes people just say, tell me the basics. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf where the little kitties can get at it. You know, there may be some intellectual conversations we need to have, but the basics about God and the gospel are so simple, a little kid can understand it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, we need to have an adult's head, but a child's heart. You understand, we need to be able to speak the language of the people. If you are talking to someone at the gym or in your neighborhood, and you realize they know nothing about the Bible, don't take them to Revelation. Okay? Hey, you check this out about the Antichrist, man. Now, we'll get to that, right? But let's first talk about the gospel. Let's talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul spoke their language. They hushed. And he said, brethren and fathers, hear my defense. Hear my uh, apologetic argument, which I now offer to you. Now, quickly, Paul's defense is his personal testimony. Sometimes we might share from creation. Sometimes we might share with somebody from conscience or the image of God written on our hearts. Sometimes we might share with someone about the emptiness of life without God, Ecclesiastes. Sometimes we might share the law of God to bring conviction of sin. But here there is a place, even in apologetics, for your personal testimony. After all, who can argue with my conversion experience? You might debate the facts, but I know Jesus Christ and I know what he's done for me. And you can take me to task for the elements of my story, but you ain't changing what he's done in my life. Amen? So Paul says, look, listen to me. Was there anybody more radically converted than this guy? Consider what I have to say. Please, listen. And so he says, when, uh, it says, when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew. Now, I remember, he's talking, he's on the stairs, talking down to the crowd. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, Paul spent a lot of time in Jerusalem because he was trained under this great rabbi. Strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you are all today. Look, we might say it this way to somebody. I was brought up in this city. You guys know me. You've watched my life. You know what I was like before. You know where I was trained. You know where I went to school. You know what I'm about. You've watched me raise my kids in this town. Let me tell you about my experience. Look, I'm zealous for God. It's true. I was zealous just like you. But my zeal was really without knowledge, Paul might say. That's Romans 10. He says, I was so zealous. If you want to know about my past life, I persecuted persecuted this way. Jesus is the way. Christianity was called the way at this time. I persecuted this way to the death binding and putting both men and women into prisons. If you want to know how passionate I was and zealous I was, I tried to destroy this movement. Don't think that I just was always on the side of Christ. Look, I I took men and women, I put them in prisons. I tried to destroy this this thing to the death and also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify whether they're all the same that were there back when Paul started, I don't know. But he said, from them I also received letters to the brethren. If you saw some of the religious leaders standing there, they might be going, yeah, it's true. We gave him letters. This guy was our number one hit man. 
Wherever you want to send the apostle Paul, take care of the Christian movement over here. Okay. Off he went. He had letters from the chief priests. He said, I started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there uh, to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. And it came about, and now he's sharing his personal conversion, that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Have you ever noticed that there's a lot of people when you try to share with them, you could talk about Buddha, Zoroaster, anything, but you mention the name of Jesus. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about him. And they'll push back from the table. You might want to confront them next time and say, why do you think that the name of Jesus makes you so upset? Have you ever thought about that? Why do you think you get so angry the moment his name comes up? Could it be that God's stirring something in you? If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. And so Paul began to share with his own people, for his heart's desire was that his Jewish brethren would come to Christ, come to know Christ. That's what he said in Romans chapter 9. He said he had unceasing grief in his heart for his Jewish kinsmen. And so even though his life you know, was on the line and they had really assaulted him, yet he, he shared the truth. You see, this is something that he had seen before. He had seen it in Jesus, who prayed for his persecutors and asked for their forgiveness from the cross. He had seen it in Stephen as he stood there and people laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul before he became Paul. And he had seen Stephen's witness. Don't hold this sin against them. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And now Paul was in the same circumstance. And after being beat up and threatened and so forth, he says, no, let me speak to the people. And Paul preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. But when Paul mentioned the Gentiles, the crowd was not happy, and we know the rest of the story. Paul kept speaking. He kept uh, pressing on because he had a high calling on his life. He knew what was at stake, and, and the transcendent cause that Paul uh, was fighting for was much beyond his own physical life and safety. This is a man that <laughs> we certainly want to honor. This is a man that it's hard to measure up to a man like this, his passion and burden for lost souls. But this is Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament letters, and this man was a real, almost perplexing convert for many to understand this great Pharisee now becoming the main spokesman for the gospel. This is what God does, though. He changes our priorities. He causes us to be born again to a living hope, and it's something that we want to share, and that's why we do Living Truth Radio. Because we want to share with as many people as possible the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is good news that we proclaim, brothers and sisters. Don't give up. Don't give up on your calling or the mission that God has for you. Thank you for listening to today's program. 
Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.